0: Welcome to Let's Talk Product, a podcast by Propeller about building software products and companies. I'm your host, Leen Ashkal, and on this show, we explore what it takes to build global tech products. We cover everything from user experience to customer obsession, product strategy to scaling software. If you're a MENA-based startup looking for an early stage investor, get in touch. We'd love to talk. Today, we're thrilled to be hosting Tony Fadell, a product leader with more than 10 years of experience with some of the biggest tech companies in the world, including Google and Karim. He started his career as a software engineer and spent seven years at Google after that, between Dublin and San Francisco, where he helped launch some of the most used products on the planet, including Google sign-in, sign-up for all platforms. In 2017, he moved back to the Middle East, where he led the Karim Marketplace team and is currently serving as Senior Product Director for Consumer and Ads at Talabat. Tony is passionate about creating and cultivating healthy tech cultures and helping companies build innovative global products out of the Middle East. Today, Tony talks to us about his role in transforming Talabat to a product-led organization and cultivating a collaborative, transparent culture for the product and engineering teams. He shares his personal experiences and many practical tactics to influencing change. Good morning, Tony. Thank you so much for joining us today, especially today, since you're taking time off from your family vacation. (laughs) How are you doing?
1: Hey, good morning, Lynn. Good, good. Feeling great. Really looking forward to this. So are we. Um, Thanks for having me on.
0: So, Tony, um, you've had quite a good start to your career, right? So you've graduated with a degree in computer science, uh, did a master's degree in computer science from Oxford, you joined Google after a couple of years of work experience, uh, five years in Dublin at Google, and three years in Mountain View, uh, which is pretty much the dream for a lot of people, right? Um, but then you left that and you moved back to the Middle East. So here's a question that you get asked all the time: um, Why did you make that choice and leave and decide to leave Google?
1: No, absolutely, it's uh, yeah, it's a question I, I honestly get asked all the time, uh, and it's surprising. I didn't realize how 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 big of a change that was, uh, and how surprising it would be to people that someone would want to do that. Um, before going into specifically you know, how I, why I left Google, I wanted to give you kind of a quick idea of what I was doing before and, and what led me to that decision. So I'm originally from Egypt, uh, as you know, and then I moved to Europe after a few years of finishing my university, did my master's, and then moved to Google. And from doing that, you know, what I was doing is really, as you mentioned, chasing my dream to work at one of the best tech companies in the world. And I felt that in our region, that opportunity didn't exist, and I needed to go abroad to find it. And then, you know, I was in Mountain View, and I remember that day really well. Mountain View is, you know, beautiful, nice green, very sunny day. And I was playing with my daughter. She was just, you know, a few months old. And I realized at that time, you know, I made it, and I was really happy with myself. But at the same time, I felt that... I had the opportunity to do those things because I had a support network of friends, I had family that supported me as well to be able to go there. And it wasn't you know, because I was the smartest person in in my family even, or the smartest person in the region. I had a lot of support to be able to go there and I felt that other people that potentially are much better than I am didn't have those same opportunities. So I felt specifically when I was looking at my daughter, I felt that It was my duty in a way to uh, help people that didn't have the same opportunities and what i wanted to do is really wanted to come back to the region and try to pass you know all the learnings that i've had over the past 10 years and try to help companies here really create an engaging culture that supports people that want to really work at those you know innovative companies they don't have to make the choice between Do I stay in my country with my family or do I go and try to follow my career, right? I wanted to come back here and for us to focus on creating that culture Uh, and those opportunities in our region.
0: 100%. I think that that's a dilemma that a lot of people face, specifically later on uh, in their careers, after having a couple of years of experience at a company in the Middle East, and then they feel that they've probably reached the ceiling, right? So what what mission or what challenge, I guess, attracted you to move back?
1: Absolutely. So, yeah, at the time, I, uh, you know, I... I was really feeling like I wanted to come back, uh, but I also understand that you know I'm, I'm not going to come back by myself and and change the reason exactly. by myself. It requires, uh, requires a a really big change, and I didn't feel like I was the one to do that. Uh, so fortunately, I was actually on a on a vacation to see some friends, and we ended up traveling to dubai. and when I landed to Dubai, I just was mesmerized. I went to Dubai about fifteen years ago. Uh, actually, when I just started university, I went to Dubai and it was pretty much a desert. Mm-hmm. And then I came, you know, a few years back and Dubai was just insane. Everything was, you know, they they built massive buildings. They, they built a Palm Jumeirah, uh, which is a man-made island, you know, out of nowhere. And I really felt that sense in Dubai that this city allowed you to really reach for the stars, right? When you look at the Burj Khalifa, really piercing through the stars. Uh, And it really felt like, right, if there's anywhere in the region where we can really change that mentality about here's the box that we're in, and this is the only thing that we're capable of, and those big innovations need to come from abroad, Dubai was that place that was challenging that Mm view and was really pushing forward to be the best in the world from a tiny, tiny little land, right? And... So once i got there i got really interesting and i went okay if i wanted to move back to the region and make a change dubai mm-hmm. is the place to go but w- what else exists there and at that time you know karim was about three four years old at the time so not really big yet but still big enough so and a few of my friends uh, basically uh, introduced me to the founders of karim so i got to meet uh, magnus uh, when he was in martinville he was actually giving a talk in stanford And we immediately clicked Uh, when Mm -hmm. I talked to Karim. It was an immediate understood that, you know, it wasn't just about the technology that they're building, which is quite fascinating and quite difficult to do. Uh, And it was a very nice challenge from a product and tech perspective. But also what really attracted me to Karim was really their vision, right? They, They always had a vision for the region and they always had a vision from day one that they didn't want to be just successful. They wanted their success to push the region forward. Uh, and you can see, you know, more recently, there's, there's a few articles about how people that had joined Kareem moved on and build new startups and are pushing things forward, right? The
0: and that's mafia. really,
1: exactly.
0: And hopefully you're one of them.
1: <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think overall, w- the company was really, you know, just being that kind of light of potential and getting younger people that are smart, that are capable to not just think of, I want to move abroad and join Google. Uh, they can think of what can I do and build here.
0: hundred percent. So you felt that your mission, your personal purpose was strongly aligned with that of the company.
1: Very, very strongly aligned. Uh, it was, yeah, I think at the first five seconds of us talking, I had already made the decision to leave California and move.
0: Oh, wow. And do you feel that you've kind of fulfilled that mission
1: Uh,
0: at Karim, Absolutely. Is that why you moved on? Absolutely.
1: So I think, uh, you know, as everyone knows, Karim uh, just closed a deal with Uber, basically one of the largest in the Middle East. I think it's the largest one, actually. And I think at the time when the deal was announced, personally, I had made the decision that, right, the the mission that we've had to really be successful was in a way done. We've proven that a company in the Middle East can go and compare to some of the biggest, most exciting tech companies in the world. And, you know, hold its ground for about seven years until the only breakthrough was really to get bought by them or acquired by them. So I felt like that was success. And we've made one success, but also through the success in Karim, I've also learned the different challenges into why Karim was the one that made it. While potentially other companies that had similar goals or similar uh, visions weren't able to fulfill that dream. So I wanted to, again, continue my mission to make bigger impact in the region and continue to work with other companies to try to transform and to potentially be the next big thing.
0: And that's when you joined Talabat, right?
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: But what, what? So, what challenge or what mission um, actually drew you to Talabat? Yep,
1: very, very good question. Um, so, Talabat, as you know, is uh, is really, you know, the poster child of companies being born in the region. Talabat is about fifteen years old. It started in Kuwait. Uh, many people don't know this but Talabot is one of the first food delivery uh, platforms in the world really oh, wow. right so they've innovated that you know 15 years ago um, and unfortunately in our region I think we we've had a lot of success but never had that you know global scale success that you know some of the other food uh, businesses have and again I feel like that comes back again to how we view ourselves into, right, we've made huge success, not just in one country, but in multiple countries, versus a different viewpoint or a different vision of being, you know, global domination. So Talabot was in that time going through, or over the last two years, going through a big transformation where it understood that the way for it to be successful in the future was no longer about how it started, right? It needed to evolve, it needed to change with the times, uh, and it needed to be a lot more about product and tech driven than it is about, you know, making the deals and the and the sales that they have had before. Obviously, this is still a really, really important part of the business and we work very closely together. But we needed a mind shift uh, shift into how the company operates. And that, I think, was the really, really good challenge that I wanted to be part of. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How do you not just start a new company that already the people, you know, join and they have this vision of. You know, I can be a big global company. How can I actually join a company that's been here for a very long time and convince them to change their roots and actually be successful, right?
0: That, that's probably one of the toughest things you could do, right? It's because it's, you probably know this more than anyone else, but it's much harder to change the culture than to build one from scratch.
1: Absolutely.
0: So, so how did you roll out these new changes and go about cultural transformation?
1: absolutely absolutely um yeah i think this is very important and usually the ways that this works quite well and you see this in the region as well multiple companies are are starting to get this are starting to get that they need to evolve uh, for the future or else they're going to be disrupted by new small startups that are really innovating and are really moving uh, quickly right so one of the big things that we wanted to do to make these changes was really focusing on two simple things. One is focusing on building the right teams and the right culture. And the second one was really focusing on building the right vision, right? Sometimes a company is successful and that's good, but unfortunately sometimes with that success, the challenge is that you get focused on just making some money and being a little bit successful and you forget, you know, what's your vision, what's the next five-year plan, where's the market moving, where's everything going. (laughs) So we wanted to focus on those two things, the team and the vision. And the challenge was actually quite big and we spent a really good time actually considering the best ways for us to tackle it. So one of the things that we looked at is we wanted the team to work very, very closely together because we felt this is the core of innovation. When you have a strong set of individuals and you create a team out of them and they're able to work together well, This is where companies get led, you know, bottom up rather than top down. And our challenge was that our teams were scattered across uh, different countries. So we had some teams in Egypt. We have some people in Dubai, we had some people in Kuwait and what we decided to do was really move the entire tech team from Kuwait to Dubai. And you can imagine, you know, how big is that challenge of moving, you know, over a hundred people to oh, wow. you know, that had families, have children, or married, you know, have commitments, have other people to move to Dubai office, uh, almost at the same time. So we moved everyone. I think between December and January, the whole comp the whole tech, you know, team had moved to Dubai. And you know, there's other challenges that you don't consider, right? Even okay, so where do we sit them? How do we create the right space for those teams to come in, and be at their best? How do we you know, break the spirit that we had before of, you know, the people in Kuwait, for example, they go to lunches together every day, the people in Dubai were going to lunches together, how do you they merge those teams together, how they create those connections uh, and allow them to kind of continue to grow. Uh, and the second one was really, you know, now that you have a team, how do you convince them that this is the right vision mm-hmm. and get them excited about the future of the company and get them to believe in you right because you can make all those changes you can send an email and say hey here's the company that we want to be here's all the changes and people you know archive the email go great you know my boss's boss's boss is telling me that this is happening
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, so how do you really you know convince them that this is real and how do you bring them as part of uh, the story of the company that's going to make this real
0: Yes, exactly. I think vision is everything, and it's even more important at the early stages where a startup still hasn't developed a strong brand name like Karim or Talabat, for example, and it ends up being the vision that attracts that top talent. But yeah, I also came across uh, this great piece by Simon Sinek the other day on cultural transformation. Um, And the way he looks at this, I found that to be super interesting because he says the biggest mistakes that companies make is that they treat transformation just as a campaign where you've got a specific launch date and a fully designed program. And what tends to happen, of course, is people resist that and things end up going back to where you started. So the way he goes about it, he looks at cultural transformation just like the adoption of innovation. You know that bell-curved graph, uh, the law of diffusion of innovation, where you've got the bulk of the people in the middle, you've got the outliers on either side. So you've got around 15% of the population or of your organization are your early adopters and your innovators. And you've got your early and late majority that come in the middle and make up about 70% of the population. And this group is specifically practical and cynical. They're gonna ask you uh, to pay them extra for staying late, for example, right? Uh, as opposed to the early adopters, they do things just because they're excited about them and they want to be part of something new. So you want to trans- if you want to transform your organization, you want to get to that large mass, of course, but the way to do it, he says, is actually by ignoring them. You aim at the early adopters only because the rest don't want to start something new unless other people have tried it. So you start with the early adopters and naturally the rest of the organization follows. And looking at Talabat through that lens, so you want everyone at the organization to believe in this new vision. But what's particularly more interesting here is you also changed the way that everyone is working. Collaboration looks completely different, cross-functional teamwork as well all kicked in and you transformed this company into a product-led organization. So can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Absolutely. I think the two things that we thought about were really like, the product is basically, you know, the, the, the voice of the customer, I like to say, right? In a way, we represent what how our customers use our products, our customers interact with us, um, and how can really, you know, when companies say we want to be led by uh, the customer tone or the customer voice or the customer feedback, what they really mean to say is that they want to be led, you know, by product. Right? Mm-hmm. And a really, really important distinction, I think that a lot of companies don't really consider is that the product is not just the product managers, uh, it's product teams,
2: <laughs> right? And
1: I think we, we've had this discussion earlier, right? Yeah. What's the difference between you know, a product team and a team that builds product? Um, so maybe I'll take a quick minute to explain this. So a product team, or actually let's explain the, the team that builds product because this is the, the, the most normal case. And basically, these are teams that you create that have engineers, designers, product—you know, everyone else that you need—and uh, they're either given a product like, hey, go launch feature X, or the product manager comes and says, you know, I've done the research already. Here's feature Y that we need to we need to launch. And basically, there's a disconnect between what you're trying to build and the people building it, right? They just get told secondhand, here's what to do. Maybe the product manager, you know, writes a list of requirements and the engineers start, you know, working through them. That's, I think, you know, for people listening, that's probably most of the experience that you've had with some of the teams. But a product team is basically, there's no real distinction between a product and the engineers or the sales or anyone else in the company. Everyone is product. And the idea is that when you're working on a new feature, it can come, you know, Top down, it can come bottom up that you figure out something, but you involve the team. So the engineers, for example, they never get a list of, hey, go do step one, two, three. They're actually part of the process. They're part of the thinking. We have discussions about here is a problem that we're trying to solve. Here is the customer interviews. Uh, We take some of the engineers to do uh, customer calls. So we call the customers, get some feedback from them. We go to partner meetings. So we go, for example, meet a restaurant. Some of the engineers some of the sales team uh, some of the legal team even sometimes come with us to those meetings so they get to hear firsthand and that creates you know empathy to the customer it creates a connection between what you're doing in your office and, wh- and how people are feeling about the impact that you're creating i'll give you kind of a quick example that we had tell about we were working on a on a specific uh, product called t dine that launched recently and we brought the engineers to a restaurant manager they got to hear from them what challenges did they have they got to hear from our customer what challenges did they have and when we started to build the product we were having like a weekly discussion together where we go for two three hours discussing all the feedback uh, that we each of us heard because everyone you know remembers a very specific thing that is a that is a specific insight that they might have gained and we were sharing and the discussion went from Hey, let's go build this feature to overall, you know, what's our vision? What What can we do in two, three years? How can we build that first system that we have to enable this specific feature? But what are the, you know, 10, 12 more features that we see are probably coming next? And how can we as a team set ourselves up for success where we already know what's coming next? What are the potential gains? If this doesn't work, what's the other backup for it? And to have a team that this engage and this understanding of what's happening is really the recipe for success, right? It's that engagement. It doesn't matter if you get it wrong the first time. Mm-hmm. You know that a team like this is going to get it right eventually because of how much they're bought into it, how much they personally feel connected to the impact that they're creating.
0: And and so so that team that you just described that came up with the idea and did this whole brainstorming session included everyone from from designers to engineers to product managers to sales, right?
1: Absolutely. yeah.
0: And and so how do you structure those like cross-functional teams? Is there like a bare minimum element where you have to have at least uh, two engineers to one product manager?
1: that's a excellent question and it's something that we are constantly working on so the way that we started in talabot for example again you know the challenge of bringing people from kuwait and sitting in talabot one of the first things that we've done was really to figure out what team structure we wanted to build and what team structure is the best for us to really be you know practicing agility practicing empathy and what we've built is something that's basically loosely connected to what Spotify uh, model is, which is the you know five squad uh, model, which we felt works really well and it connects the team really well together. Everyone owns a specific problem that they can solve. So there's a lot of this kind of ownership that the team owns this, that they invested in, in it, and they don't have to work you know across the company overall. Um, and as we evolve, we started to see the challenges a bit. So for example, when you're trying to build a new product from the ground up. Right you need you know you need marketing to be part of it, you need your PR. team to be part of it, you need your business development or strategy to be part of these things. So how does that work? And we were doing an ad hoc model of, okay, we can bring them in sometimes when we need them, and some other times when we're just delivering, they're separated. And that worked well for a little bit. but I feel like we've lost some major insights, and for the projects where we were very, very close together those generally perform much better than before so we changed our view a little bit and said right you have the core teams Mm -hmm. and you have extended and so you don't have to for example you're trying to build a product you don't have to figure out who's the marketing person for you to engage with or whatever you have someone from marketing that is working on specific uh, products or specific areas right so you immediately know like hey this is the person to engage with and very uh, often that person would actually come to you and go, you know, as we look at our area, here's what we're seeing here are the insights from our side. So they bring in
2: information
1: and you work together to kind of solve the problems. Because again, in the end, even that marketing or the salesperson is thinking of their contribution from a product perspective, not just a functional perspective. Like, Hey, I only do, you know, ads or I only do marketing campaigns. They, they are part of the team that is delivering an experience to our customers.
0: I really like the way you phrased this at the start, that a product-led organization is a company that has a very strong internal voice of the customer that's heard across the entire organization, be it it sales, marketing, or finance, I guess, as well. And just looking at this through the lens of startups, so I'm just thinking about our portfolio companies here, early stage companies, a product manager has to do that same work, but but on a much smaller scale. They need to orchestrate all of these insights, collaboration, information, gathering making sure everybody's empathizing with the customers but as the company scales and grows you need a more structured way of doing this so that you make sure all insights are heard and acted upon so that you guys can come up with great innovative solutions that are valuable to the customer so from my understanding here i guess a lot of the ideas that you come up with at talabad are driven bottom up is, th- is that correct
1: absolutely uh i think we have a few different models so in any company of our size as well you know you can't you can't tell everyone on the ground like hey everyone work on whatever idea that you feel is great and go on right that's yeah. that's never going to work well so you need some balance between top down and bottom up and the way that we look at this usually is that top down uh is a lot about focus And so, for example, the way, and I'll give you uh, an insight into how we work a little bit. (laughs) So when we're coming even with the top down, it's not really that, you know, the CEO is sitting by himself somewhere and then going, let's go build this. The way that this works is basically we're constantly engaging. We're constantly working together on a weekly basis with our leadership team, sharing the insights that we've learned, sharing the views, sharing the customer feedback, all of those things. Obviously, summarizing a lot of them. Uh, But we're constantly giving them feedback. So we're feeding them the information into what we think we should be doing. And at the end of or at the start of every quarter, we publish some insights that we share with our leadership team. And they go in, take those insights, take their own personal insights. We're obviously part of Delivery Hero as well. So we get insights from multiple different entities across the board. And we console, consolidate all of those things together to come up with, you know, what's our biggest, most important thing. So even the top downs are really bottom ups, <laughs> but they've been fed, right? Mm. Uh, and the idea is again, right? The, there is there's a certain view of, you know, a leadership team knowing where to invest for the future and, uh, you know, two three years from now where where the industry is going. But really, the day-to-day insights have to be bottom-up.
0: Okay, nice. Because this ends up being a balance, right? Bottom feeds up, up has vision, and all that gets combined and goes goes down exactly. again. Uh, super clear. But yeah, just I would like to go back to the whole idea of collaborative work. Uh, these discussions and meetings, I guess, can be quite tricky to manage because as we all know, I'm sure we all know how meetings can tend to be quite inefficient at sometimes. times. But when the work itself is super collaborative, everybody has insights and you're trying to build a culture that's super transparent, collaborative, democratic and the same way, I guess that balance is, is super tricky of making sure the meeting runs efficiently while coming up with like really good results and not spending so much time kind of like arguing on what's important and what's our top priority and what to build. Absolutely. So how do you maintain that balance?
1: Yep, absolutely. There a, I think there's two challenges. One is debating what to build and the other challenge is actually debating how to build it. <laughs> um, and the what to build is, uh, is really important, right? Because you, you spend a lot of money and energy and resources to build things. So you want to make sure that you're making the right decisions. Now, let's say you know, we've decided this is uh, the big kind of product that we're going to build next, and that's the most important thing for us to do. How do we do it? Right? And we've talked a little bit about this by empowering the teams. You're not giving them, hey, I want you to build this product in this specific way. You're asking them, here's the challenge, here's the important things, here's the opportunity, and you let them figure out how they're going to attack this problem. And I'll give you a, a, a real example, actually, or one of my biggest challenges, I think, when I joined Talabot earlier, is there was a new product that was really important, really exciting, and when we went to build it, we decided, right, the best way to do it was to merge two teams. So challenge number one was those two teams never worked together before. Challenge number two is that they've worked on specific problems Then now we've said, Put that knowledge aside, we're going to take you and build something new. And then the third challenge is they've never worked with me before. So in a way, I didn't have that rapport or that trust yet building. So we needed to kind of solve all those things. And what we did very early on is I focused a lot on getting the team to understand the vision, understand why we're doing this, what are the opportunities? And uh, not just for today's opportunities, but what are the opportunities for three, five years from now? Right? And we spent possibly the first few days not writing a single line of code. We were just discussing the concepts. We were talking to customers. We were talking to our vendors. We were pulling data from here and there, listening to user research and really just getting everyone to have the 360 view of what we're trying to build. And that team really went from a team that was in a way shy uh, and we're sitting to kind of go, okay, what's the product? Let's go build X, Y, Z, give us the requirements. To a team that was insanely engaged up to the fact that, you know, our, our meetings or our discussions were so soulful that everyone was basically shouting out like, no, I'm against this, this doesn't make sense. This is what our customers want. This is what this person said and we actually had to develop a model for us to be able to collaborate well where we brought in a a tennis ball and the only way that you're allowed to speak in the meeting is if you had the tennis ball so only the person that has the ball can speak up and again you know you had to speak up and you had to pass the ball to someone else and in a way it was it was hilarious because basically you had a group of you know 10 adults fighting over a tennis ball to get (laughs) it to speak but i think the value of getting a team that just sits in listens on the ideas and goes okay fine let's go do that versus this team that really pushed back on everything this team that you know every single engineer was thinking no but what what you guys are prioritizing does not deliver the biggest value to our customer based on you know that discussion that we have or this insight that we've had and that created that loop where honestly, almost everything that we've built had nothing to do with what we originally had planned to do. And in a way, my role moved from, you know, a product manager that's coming up with the features and the opportunities to someone that's facilitating the discussion. Mm -hmm. And the outcome of this was that originally we had a, a timeline of about six weeks to deliver this where in our first discussion the engineering team went there's no way this is going to happen in six weeks to the fact that we actually launched our first mvp in about two to three weeks we had a fully working in production mvp that didn't have all the features but was actually there and we were able to launch it Uh, and i think this is probably one of the funniest stories for me where The sales team, when we were discussing with them, we laughed a little bit uh, because they said, well, to be honest, we didn't think you guys were going to deliver this in six weeks. So (laughs) we didn't even start uh, selling this yet because we just assumed this is going to be delayed. Now you're three weeks, uh, you know. Earlier than expected, we need to be on top of this and we need to run quickly, right?
0: (laughs) Well, that was clearly effective. I'd like to go back to a point that you just mentioned that I've been wanting to get to. So you were brought in as a new leader to an existing team that's been working together for quite some time and have a particular way of doing that, of course. And with new managers, some might experience some form of resistance, right? Resistance to change. Did you personally experience that and how did you manage it?
1: No, absolutely. There's a, I think with every change, there's always resistance. It's a, it's almost a human nature, right? The way that I think about this is really building the layer of psychological safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and psychological safety in a way it's, uh, it's the ability to allow everyone in the company to speak up and to say what they want to say without any fear of repercussion, without any fear of being shut down. I mean, if you've been into any discussions, even at school, for example, if you remember your school days, and when the teacher asks a question, there's generally you know, three, four children that are answering most of the questions and everyone else is quiet. Mm-hmm. It's not because they don't know the answers, it's because most of the time they're either not engaged enough, or they feel worried that, oh, if I answered it wrong, I'm going to be embarrassed in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you take a step back forward, you know, looking into school system again, if you look at, you know, uh, six year olds or five year olds, and you ask a question, everyone is going to answer. Yeah, Because children at that age don't understand fear. They don't understand the embarrassment yet. Um, so somewhere along the line of us growing up, that fear starts to set in probably because of some experiences that we've been through. Mm-hmm. So in a way, you know, I'm starting to sound a bit like a yoga teacher, <laughs> but in a way, when you, when you get, you know, those employees in your companies, you need to understand that not everyone is starting from the best place in their life. Some of them might have had very traumatic or bad experiences in the past. And how can you, to get the best out of them, how can you work with them on a personal level, to allow them to really be the best that they can be. Mm. So when we're making that change, we, you know, we look at every single person, really, really connect with every single person, understand where they're coming from, what are their dreams, what are their hopes, what are they worried about.
0: That is so nice. I think there's nothing more refreshing than having that personal, candid, transparent connection with your manager. No,
1: absolutely. You have to really engage with them on a personal level again. Create that safety net the other one create the ability for them to understand that you're capable so i'll give you a little example that i that i tend to do a lot when i join new companies so the first thing two things i saw when i joined Talabat, for example was that our ceo and our leadership team were quite new and quite young and i felt that it was very important to them to understand that your product team is capable of delivering And I think there's two themes always when we talk about product, there's discovery and delivery. Mm -hmm. And sometimes uh, companies are worried that the teams doing product discovery are basically wasting time, right?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. They just want them to deliver. And you really need to create that trust that we are able to deliver, sometimes we choose not to deliver. It's not always important to build, sometimes it's important to know what not to build. But you need to earn that trust. You can't just you know, say to the team, hey, we're not delivering on this because we don't think that it is right. That creates a little bit of friction of, are you really able to do it? Or are you, you know, buying time for yourselves? Or you guys maybe are not a very good team, that's why you weren't able to deliver on that. Mm-hmm. So initially, what I wanted to do with our C-level sit was really show them that we we're able to deliver very, very quickly. And I'll give you like a quick trick that I did on my first week, you know, talking to the CEO. He was having a discussion of, hey, this feature, you know, something that bothers me. I would love for it to work this way. And just said this, you know, out of the blue in one of the meetings. And I wrote it down and I went downstairs and talked to the team and said, listen, I know this is not the most important thing. I know this is not the most urgent thing, Mm -hmm. but it's such a small thing that it will take us, you know, an hour or two maximum for us to do. Can we push it in, in this week's work? And they went, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Let's go do it. And we basically built it that day. And I sent him a message maybe around, you know, 5 p.m., 6 p.m. And I said, hey, Tomasu, remember the thing that you mentioned this morning in the meeting? We've actually built this. Here's a test of it already. Have a look and see if this is what you meant and it worked well. And I think that day really created that view in his head of, okay, this team can do things incredibly fast. And obviously, you know, we build this trust over weeks and months. But today, we're in a place where our team understands that if this is the most important thing for us to do, we're capable of doing it. When we put the brakes on, they understand okay, let's have a discussion. What are we not seeing? Why are you guys pushing back on this? So we created that challenge that we're capable, and we decide when to do things. The second thing I tend to do a lot as well is I, you know, because I have the background in being uh, a software engineer, so I tend to enjoy writing code. So sometimes I I try to fix things myself in the first few weeks, and the idea again is to show the team two things. One is that no one is above the work on the ground, because you're a director or a VP or whatever, it doesn't mean that you sit in an ivory tower and you tell people what to do. You you really lead by doing. You really show them that you know how much you care about people, uh, RC levels, suits. Call customers all the time to get feedback from them. You know, they don't tell them that, hey, I'm the CEO of the company. They call them and say, Hey, I'm running a survey. I want to listen a little bit from you. And the idea is, you know, everyone in the company has access to our customer. Everyone in the company is listening on the ground. Everyone is being engaged very early on. And that creates that accountability for everyone to understand that, you know, here is the work being done. Here's how we do it. Here's how we engage. And again, when you're working on transforming a culture, getting a team that is engaged on a daily basis, again, challenges everything that you do. Every day, there's a new thing that we learn. that we go, hey, let's put the brakes for a second. Let's discuss this. Is this the right thing for us to be building? Is there a better way to do it is there a different challenge that we need to take
0: yeah and that is the essence of a product-led organization all these collaborative discussions across all company functions all insights are being shared customer voice is all across the organization and that's what allows you to build innovative products right but looking at the region um honestly we we rarely come across organizations, startups, even corporates that work in that way. Of course, now there are some companies that have been doing this right. You've got Karim Talabat, and even earlier stage companies. But it's not something that you see that often. And you might argue that this might be hindering uh, the region from producing and creating more innovative global tech products that could be used by the rest of the world, right? Um, so in your view, how do you see the state of product building in the Middle East right now?
1: No, that's an excellent question. I think our region is is in the middle of a big change where more and more companies are starting to understand the value of not just product but understand the value of user experience overall. You know a lot of the companies were really understanding the engineering part and how you know tech can push you forward, but they weren't understanding how the what we tend to call you know customer delight is really really important in a way when sometimes the decision of a customer using a product comes down to the delight factor of you know the engagement of the product and how happy they are using it over the technical capabilities of the products right um you know if you think of mobile phones for example it's impossible for you to say whether an iPhone is better than a Samsung phone. They, they probably have almost the same capabilities. So it comes down again to personal preference, to the experience that each one of those companies are delivering to their customers and engaging with them in a certain way. So, and this is where I think product and design are growing a lot in our region and we're starting to see the big impact that that these two teams can bring. But we're still very early stages, mm-hmm. but think about it as well, right? product, product is hard. Um, yeah, and you know some of my favorite books. You know, the hard things about hard things. They discuss, uh, you know, Ben Horowitz discussed this a lot. Of, for example, there's no school for product. You don't go to university to become a product manager. Uh, somehow they're 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 created out of multiple different fields and empathy and learning on the ground and growing. So there is a bit of a of an effect. Of if we are able to have few successful companies that are really product led
2: exactly,
1: then the people that have worked at those companies have been exposed to that experience can again go and start new companies or join new companies and create that effect and that experience into different companies. But I can see a lot of companies are moving into that direction uh, and I'm really happy that this is happening, and I think you know parts of me joining the podcast today was really again we discussed this you know we can start creating um this community of how we can help each other because again our missions is not just you know i don't want to hide my knowledge or my experiences from others and say i want those companies to to fail because i want to be the only one that succeeds and you know our company to make money it's important for me and it's important for talabat for other companies to be successful because that enables the entire ecosystem to again allow us to be more successful than we are today.
0: I yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's We're at that point now where it really is about knowledge sharing and, and for companies and founders to be super transparent because there's a lot, as we've seen today, there's a lot for us all to learn from, from people working at Talabat and Kareem and the companies that have been able to make a change and actually have an impact on the entire ecosystem and have been able to build somewhat global products right out of the region, global standard products. So Tony, thank you so much for being so transparent and joining us today on Let's Talk product.
1: No, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, it really is the time for us to help each other in the region and really push the region forward.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, at Talabat, we actually recently started a new tech blog, uh, it's on Medium. It's under Talabat tech And we post uh, multiple different uh, insights from how we work or framework we used, what have we learned. And a lot of this is related to you know product or design or engineering. And the idea for us is that we really want to kind of share our learnings with, with everyone else in the region uh, and see if we can support or help others as well grow. Because at the end of the day, we all live here. We all want this region really to move up exactly. uh, and it will only move up by us collaborating more and more.
0: That's beautiful. Once again, Tony, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure.
2: Awesome. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you for having me.